lie, lie, lie. I'm not afraid to die. Bruce Kramer's soul was nourished by music, and throughout the course of his life with ALS, his mood would often be reflected in the music he'd play. Songs on an impressively large and diverse playlist. This is Living While Dying, an ALS story from Minnesota Public Radio News. I'm Kathy Worzer. The spring of 2013 found Bruce Kramer's body continuing to weaken from an insidious disease, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, leaving him frustrated at times with fingers that would function a bit one day and not the next, grieving over the mounting loss of physical function. In April and May of 2013, Bruce was immersed in several writing projects, the revision of a textbook on ethics and leadership with his good friend Dr. Ernestine Enamoto from the University of Hawaii, an academic paper with a former student and friend Dr. Sharon Rad, and the writing of his blog, The Disease Diary. He said that all three projects required him to troll through earlier blog postings, journals, and photos. And it wasn't easy. Bruce would, in his words, sit inside one of his old blog entries and be hit by grief because of references, realizations, and memories. He called this process circling back as he combed through his old papers, blog entries, and journals. The circling back would also lead him forward into new emotional territory, including a profound discovery that one of the gifts ALS gave him was the ability to love with a wide open heart. Had you not experienced this earlier in life? Has this been kind of a revelation that you've had in, in these past few months? Yes. You know, I think what I saw was there was the lovable and the unlovable. There was the lovely and the unlovely. And now what I see is even in the most unlovable the most disgusting parts of humanity. There is something that love could overcome and that love is really much more important. And so I admit, I really didn't know that. So, you know, as an administrator, which is kind of how I made my living, I thought there were right ways to do things and wrong ways to do things. And I think what it, what happened was that Suddenly, I, I really wanted to do what I did in a loving way. And I wanted people to know that in, in some way, shape, or form, even if they were failing horribly, that they were loved and that they were respected, that their humanity was important. And, you know, I'm, maybe I didn't think about it quite that way before. It's... It, and it's, you know, we're not really encouraged to. So I suppose I could say that that um, I had an excuse. But when I look back on it now, it seems so obvious to me. Now, it seems so obvious to me. And part of it is because I have the privilege of being able to express love and have love expressed to me because we all know I'm dying. And that realization led the two of us to have the first of many heartfelt conversations about death and dying and love. We're just so bent on trying to live a little longer, 
trying to be a little healthier, trying to avoid death for just one more minute. Just give me one more minute. And I, I just can't help it. If you really focus in on love, then what you're talking about is embracing life and not avoiding death. Death is just one more part of that. And it actually is a lovely part of it, if we allow it to be so. Fear of death. Most people have this great fear because we don't know what happens, right? Have you thought about this? Do you think there's something after this life? I believe in eternity. Do I believe there's something after this life? Yeah, I believe there's something after this life. The joke about the twins in utero who ask each other, do you believe there's life after birth, is a great joke. But it's, it's also, I think, quite indicative. What do we know? And you know what? Whether I believe it or not, it will be what it will be. So I'm ready. I'm ready for that part. I think the part about fearing death is not really so much about fearing death, but fearing that we haven't lived life enough, that we haven't given enough to our lives, that our lives have not had the meaning, our lives have been wasted, our lives have not expressed that love that is there for the taking. It's there for the giving. And so that has changed for me too. Because, you know, if you would have asked me at the age of 52, are you afraid to die? The answer would have been, you bet. But now the answer for me is, I'm afraid I won't get done the things I want to get done. But if I don't, it's going to be okay. And I'm not afraid to die. And Bruce Kramer was not afraid to share the lessons ALS was teaching him, lessons in loving and living. He relished the opportunity to share some of those lessons with medical school students at the University of Minnesota. This story was heard on the radio May 8th of 2013. The lecture hall was nearly full, the students intently listening to the former college dean at the front of the amphitheater-style room, now in a motorized wheelchair. And next to him, someone Bruce called his comrade in ALS, Pat Conway, and Pat's wife, Kathy. Pat, Kathy, and Bruce have been invited to tell their stories to the nearly full lecture hall. There, there is this point where you, you think that um, this is about the person with the disease, but it's not. A- A- ALS splashes all over your family. It gets all over your friends. It gets all over your, your colleagues. It also affects the emotional part of our so when we both struggle with tears, it's not so much we are sad, but it's part of the disease that also chases people away. The lectures presented to first-year med school students in part by Dr. Ezgi Tiriaki. She's a neurologist and educator at the University of Minnesota and Hennepin County Medical Center. She also directs the ALS Center of Excellence at HCMC. The lecture is partially medical in nature, but mostly personal reflections that go beyond the textbook and lab work. When I first started practicing, I was just freaked out when I went to clinic and had to see a new patient. 
uh, because it really depended on me being right, and then it depended on me saying it in a way that people could hear me. And that was a very, very steep learning curve and not something that comes naturally. The thing about it is, though, it can be learned. And if you pay attention to it, you can practice it, you can get better at it. And you should really make that a goal in medical school to get better at talking about bad news. Dr. Tiriaki says medical students have so much information to wade through, very little time is spent reflecting on why a student chose the field in the first place. To be anchored in a purpose and your, your calling is very, very important. And you can get cynical quite easily. Um, there's a lot of research out there about empathy in physicians, how it drops over uh, the time in medical school and drops over time in training. And so recharging that and making sure that people remember to do it for the right reasons and to, to have the fun and the pleasure and the privilege and to feel that privilege. That's that's what this lecture was really about. Dr. Sam Miser, a neurology resident, sat in Dr. Tiriaki's lecture just a few years ago and, based in part on that lecture, decided to go into neurology, making ALS his specialty. I mean, I think the thing that struck me the most was the willingness of the patients to be so open and honest about what their life is like living with a disease like ALS. Because we always hear uh, the symptoms and, and whatnot from a lecture, but to actually hear a real person tell us what their disease is like and how it's affecting them, I think is what struck me the most. Dr. Tiriaki calls lectures like this the hidden curriculum in a medical school, and the best teachers are the patients themselves, patients like Bruce Kramer. If I were counseling you, if I, if I could tell you, I would try to take this most sacred moment when you're delivering to somebody very, very bad news and try to make it as human as possible. And think to yourself, what makes this human experience so beautiful? To reach out and just touch a hand. To be quiet. Just be quiet. What is there to say once you've said this? But to be there in solidarity and to say, we can move on from this. Those are healing stories that you could tell as, as physicians. Those are things that you can give hope to people with even though there's not a cure. And if you stop and think about it, really, in medicine, there are no cures. We're all on the same pathway. We're all going to die. We just try to keep putting it off, right? So if you can figure out a way to, to just be there with that person and remember that it's not just about them, that is what I would tell you. Try to make this as human as possible. It isn't often that a classroom lecture concludes with a standing ovation. Even the guests seem a bit surprised and deeply touched, including Dr. Tiriaki. I cry every time, as you could see. It is truly a learning experience. I don't think you ever, ever stop learning. And every single patient, even time after time, teaches you something different. And the, the patients I invited today, I feel very privileged that they agreed to come. They're very special people. I mean, you heard their stories. You heard how many times they were part of research studies. Whenever I have a physical exam course, you know, these are patients that volunteer and do this because they believe in giving back and in paying forward. And those are the kinds of patients that inspire, I think, the medical students to become the best doctors they can be. That's Dr. Eski Tiriaki, a neurologist and the director of Hennepin County Medical Center's ALS Clinic located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. She's also an educator at the University of Minnesota. She continues to have patients with ALS lecture to first-year med school students.
on the next installment of Living While Dying, an ALS story. Another disappointing drug trial.